Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 112 of Lockdown Canadians. We are your daily Montreal Canadiens podcast. And as always, we are part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, where you get your team every single day. I'm, of course, one of your hosts. I am Scott Matla. I am sitting in this chair recording the show because if I try and move, I might die after going for a run for the first time in months today. And here to enjoy my misery is my wonderful co-host, as always, Laura Saba, otherwise known as The Active Stick. Laura, how are you on this actually beautiful Monday evening? It is beautiful, but I object to the fact that I would ever enjoy your misery. I only like to torture you by mocking you on the show or providing a vehicle for eyes on the prize people or friends of yours or even your girlfriend to make fun of you on the show. But I'm doing well. Thank you. (laughs) See, enjoys my misery, folks. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so going into this, the Canadians do have another game that kind of crept up on the schedule because I feel like there have been so many other news stories coming out recently, and we will touch on that in our last segment today. We're going to touch on the whole coronavirus and professional sports thing for a little bit because it hit the NHL, you know, wavelength in the past couple of days. But the Canadians, or what is left of them at this point, Takes on the Nashville Predators tonight, uh, Tuesday night at the Bell Center. It is country night. They're promoting the Lasso Country Music Festival. And up until this year, like, games against the Predators were can't miss because they were P.K. Subban's return to Montreal. It was Shea Weber playing against the Predators. And going into this game, I don't know if it's just apathy for the season, the fact that the Predators are coached by John Hines and he's ruining that team in his own special way. I, like, is it just me or is there no, like, buzz around an upcoming Canadians game for the first time since I can remember? It it does feel a little bit more subdued. We have reached that particular point in the season where you can't even pretend to really have hope that they're going to make the playoffs. You've reached kind of that point where it's time to give up and people are reluctant. Like I myself am am hearing it from people that I talk to. I think it's more to do with the Canadians, but if the Nashville Predators were a better or more fun or more exciting team, I do think it would have been more worth looking forward to. I do want to say though, and it's not that the Canadians don't do this. I They have a little bit more, not snobbery or elit- elitism, but when the Canadians have themed nights, they're usually nights that are dedicated to honoring a player or another piece of their past. And I do get a kick out of all the theme nights that they're sort of part of. I know that this year when they were in Pittsburgh, I believe the first time was Star Wars Nights, or that might have been in a whole other team, and I'm confusing them with the Canadians. But then they also had French Language Night, and now they're going down to Nashville, and it's Country Music Night, and they're honoring uh, country music, or they're promoting a festival. I think it's it's fun when teams do that, and, and, and teams are usually, they do that more in, I guess I, I haven't really seen an original six market do it really. I, I find that like a lot of the times like it's it's markets in the south and stuff, but I, it's cute and it's really funny. I don't think the Canadians ever will do that, but I think it's interesting to, to sort of figure out like if the Canadians were to start doing themed nights, what would they do? I feel like cigarette smoking would probably be one of them. 
I, I don't want to derail a lot of the good points that you made there. It's just that the Canadians <laughs> are the ones hosting the country music night. Which Wait, is the what? Part- yeah, because Montreal does the Lasso Country Music Festival now every summer, and this night is promoting that. So, like, if I you go look on the I've Canadians, it. <laughs> it's the first time they've done it, and probably oh, for wow. good reason, because there's no other reason to go to the game. So, like, today they were tweeting out, like, Nick Suzuki's country playlist, because when I think of country music, I think of 20-year-old Nick Suzuki, not, you know, <laughs> Shea Weber, who, if you put him on a stage with a cowboy hat and boots, I'd be like, yeah, that guy's a country music singer. Why the hell not? Um, uh, and I'm just looking at this game, and it's like, Nashville's sitting just out of the last wild card spot in the Western Conference, but it seems like... Their, their team runs so hot and cold, and I see players or, t- or you know, predators, people going like, John Hines has Philip Forsberg playing on the fourth line, or Kyle Turris is a healthy scratch, or Pekka Rene is terrible, or UC Saros is suddenly good, and it's like, I don't know what the Predators are. I know what the Canadians are now. The Canadians are just bad right now. That, that <laughs> That's an indisputable fact, but, like, I don't know what the Predators are. There are some weeks that they look unbeatable. And then there's some weeks that it's like, how, you're spending a lot of money to not make the playoffs. What are you doing? Like, it'll be interesting to see because these games have always been, since the whole trade happened, they've been extremely close and they do play again. And someone brought this up on Twitter that if Shea Weber doesn't miss another game, his thousandth career NHL game will be in Nashville where it will be a very, very emotional night, I'm sure, for him and a lot of other people involved. But looking ahead to Tuesday night, I I just don't know what to expect. Jonathan Drouin doesn't have a regular line yet. Max Domi, Brendan Gallagher, and Charles Houdon were a line at practice today after Team Picture Day, and it's like, I have to give Claude Julien credit. At least he's trying something different, it feels like. I'm sorry, I'm still not over the shock that Montreal has a country music festival. (laughs) (laughs) It's not just that, it's that, like, I knew that the game was in Montreal, and then when you started talking about a country music festival, and I'm like, oh, maybe it's the game that's in Nashville. (laughs) I mean, it's entirely fair, like... (laughs) (laughs) I honestly, and that's the thing, I live here... And I love to take part in whatever's going on in the summer. Like Montreal in the summer, for anybody who doesn't live here, is amazing. It's a little bit humid, but other than that, like everybody just, there's so many festivals. There's so much stuff going on outside. There's so much stuff to do. It's like the city, it it feels like it triples in population size in the summer. And I still have not heard of this country music festival. And now I'm so embarrassed. But uh, you know what I think Nashville is? Uh, if you listen to Locked On Predators, there's a lot of talk on there about how their best players are not performing. I think that might be a big thing. And I do feel like with the loss of P.K. Subban, they did lose a little bit of mobility on the defense. But I think one of the biggest things about them is that they aren't scoring. Like, their really good players aren't scoring, which is something that Canadian fans are probably a bit familiar with at this point. I was going to say, here's my world's smallest violin for all of you. Oh, our fans are fun, and we made the playoffs a bunch, and we have young talent, and our good players don't score sometimes. Uh, Allow me to not feel the slightest bit bad at all whatsoever (laughs) for you. I've been living it for a decade now, and I don't care. (laughs) Um, But for a team that might be in the playoff chase and is in the playoff chase, 
The Laval Rocket are doing the exact opposite of the Canadians and refusing to die and go away without embarrassing everybody. And we're going to touch a little bit on them and what they need to do to possibly bring some kind of playoff hockey back to Montreal. And that's coming up next. The Laval Rocket, despite every call-up and injury and trading three other veteran players and loaning a fourth to another team to get him some playing time, are in a very deep playoff chase in the AHL right now, and they're sitting just outside of it, and that's because the team that's managed to leapfrog them recently are the Binghamton Devils, a team that somehow just have not lost more than a game in a row at any time since they started like 9-17. and 17. Since then, they've won like 20-plus of their games and have only lost single-digit numbers. And that is such an astronomically impressive feat, considering the Devils have called people up and down and, you know, injuries and this and that. And even with that, the Rocket are keeping pace on They've had some very bad streaks this year, which, you know, mirrors the Canadians. But unlike the Canadians team, this one hasn't given up. On their top line at one point last week was Jesperi Kotkaniemi. Okay, good, great. AHL veteran Kevin Lynch, who's there, you know, for face-off work in the defensive zone. Okay. And a guy who started the season with a rocket on a tryout in Yannick Veilleux. And by the end of the week, the most productive player on that line was Yannick Veilleux after Kotkaniemi left injured. And we talked so much about the work Joel Bouchard does with this team and where they're at. We talked last episode about what happens if Cole Caulfield goes to Laval and the AHL on a tryout at the end of this year before signing his entry-level deal. And, Laura, how important do you think it is that this Rocket team continues this push? Even if they fall short of the playoffs, it's not like they're in a dra- going for a draft lottery or whatever. The worst thing that happens is they came close but didn't quite come close enough. I think it's important to play in that kind of high-pressure pressure situation. And you just mentioned the devils that surpassed them after like a di- I would consider that an abysmal start to a season, right? Nine and 17. That's not great. And that's something that a lot of teams are familiar with. And you can see it in the NHL level as well. Like Philadelphia is just like, like raced past all the other teams while Pittsburgh and the Islanders can't seem to put two wins together. So it it is so important. Like at this time of the year for players to ramp up for them to experience the pressure, to experience the push, Ideally, they would get some playoff experience because a lot of those players are going to be graduating to the Canadians this next year. When I say this year, I mean, you know, in 2020, 2021 and or in the following year. Right. So this is something that is it prepares them. It gives them the experience and people, I think, overestimate playoff experience. But it, it, it still is important. It's never to be discounted because. You need to have those high-pressure situations. You need to face the the pressure. You need to face elimination, I think. You need to have that urgency. You need to experience what it's like. I think it sort of it gives you a different perspective to the game because you're going to play very differently in a game where you're going to be eliminated from contention versus, like, a game in November against an opponent who isn't really good, you know, and you're still you're, you're really not feeling it. There's no such thing as not feeling it in the playoffs. There's no, there's no, uh, there are no other options but to win. And I think that's really, really important. And it's part of like one of the many facets of making a good NHL team is if their AHL team 
sees success and is able to handle success. Yeah, and I'm looking at the AHL North right now because the AHL is the top four teams from each division make the playoffs. And Binghamton is owning the last spot, and they have 70 points in 61 games played. And just below them with 67 points in 61 games is Syracuse. And then the Rocket are just below them with 66 points in 61 games. So there are no more games in hand. And this week, the Rocket play the division-leading Belleville Senators, who have 81 points and have continued to be just an absolute nuisance to the Rocket this year. And then they play two games against the Devils on Friday and Saturday. And that's when uh, Jesse Yolanen is supposed to be potentially making his debut. And I can't think of a higher-pressure situation to put that kid in. I mean, he's played for the World Juniors team. He's played for a team in Liga. And putting him in that situation, we're going to see a lot about him very early on. And I'm kind of wondering, you mentioned this to me before the show, is having these players exposed to that high-pressure situation and getting them ready to come up to the NHL would kind of help get a team from being good to cup contending good? Or is there something else that we're kind of missing with this? I think there are multiple factors at play. I think one of the big things is when you have when you have a bubble team, which is a lot of teams in the NHL, and you're seeing it right now with the fluctuations in the and the wild card spot and the parity in the league, there are teams that are bubble teams that may or may not make it, and then if they make the playoffs, you know, the old cliche, anything that, that can happen. And then there are teams that are sure contenders. And there there are three things that make the difference. One, the proportion of talented players on your roster versus depth. Uh, two, a system. You're not going to contend for a cup without a solid system. And three, how your players respond to certain situations, whether it's adversity, whether it's coming back from injury, whether if they're vocal enough, if they, you know, whether they, how they handle themselves. And so I think playoff experience brings a level of maturity that gives them the experience to sort of how to how to think in certain situations how to think on their feet how to how to um i guess I, I keep saying the word adversity but i guess you know what i mean like how to respond to different challenges how to scout teams differently how to do video coaching differently depending on your situation the more you play the more experience you have so obviously at the end of the year when you're playing those extra games that helps a lot I think one of the biggest things, too, is that you realize when you make the playoffs and you go all the way, you realize exactly what it takes, exactly how much preparation you need. And so all those little things, when I say preparation, when I say, like, um, you know, strategy, thinking on your feet, all those things are things that come with experience. So it's a huge advantage to have an AHL team that's successful. And we saw that a lot with like Toronto was very successful. And I, I understand that they're struggling now, but that's because they didn't think enough about their defense or their goaltending. Whereas like, if you look at a team like Tampa Bay, they're perennial contenders, whether they fall short or not. And it's because their AHL team was so good for so long. They worked really hard at developing not just developing single players, but developing a team attitude and developing uh, how players fit into different contexts, which I think is it's going to be so much more important when they make the NHL. So it's one thing to draft good players. And, and you know, we talked so much here about development and how the Canadians were not good at it for the, you know, the, the five 
or six years preceding this one. And now Joel Bouchard is coming in and, and hopefully making an impact on that front. But you, you can't, you can't discount the importance of that, I think, because uh, like people have even asked this on the show. They've asked this, how much of the blame lies at Trevor Timmons' feet? I think it's not, it, it, it's not important if you draft, like if you have the best scouting team and you make the best choices every time you're picking in the draft, none of that means anything if you can't develop those players because everybody, if they're lucky, gets one round, gets a first round pick, right? If they don't trade it away. Uh, and then, you know, if you're lucky, you get a second one by doing some sort of amazing asset management. Most of the time, people are not going to give up their first round pick. So you have to think about the later rounds and how to find value in the later rounds. And when you find value in the later rounds, it's honestly, there's no point in that. There's no point in being so good at drafting if you're just going to screw up the player's development. And the Canadians have seen this time and time again. Either they have bad asset management and they trade away a player that they could so badly use right now, or they just they don't develop them well enough, and the player ends up being like somebody who straddles the line between AHLer and NHLer, or worse, they go to another team and and actually turn into what they're supposed to turn into. So I think something like this is so important because it it it, it teaches players how to be prepared. Yeah, and we look at who's on this team right now. Most of like. Their young NHL, you know, top level prospects are either in the NHL guys like Evans and Vedemo and even Houdon, who's not really a prospect anymore, but has the NHL talent or they're injured like Kotkaniemi or Kale Fleury or Ryan Paling. But in their stead, there's someone like Josh Brook, who started the year so slowly and is now playing a top pairing defensive role. Someone like, you know, Caden Primo Annette, who's found his struggles they're all learning what it takes to be successful and that only a little bit of adversity is good for this. And this playoff chase is going to, you know, serve as huge motivation. It's like we almost did this last year in spite of everything thrown in front of us. What can we do next year when we know what needs to be done and everyone's got a year more experience and this team could come out of the gates next year and just absolutely blow the doors off of everyone and it's going to be very interesting to see how they keep up even if they lose you know some of these games this weekend that are huge crucial games how do they respond do they push back anyways or do they kind of you know fall apart we're gonna see a lot going on with that and with the Canadian schedule being what it is eyes on the prize going to be doing a lot more with the AHL team going forward because there's so much more to focus on, especially if Caulfield is joining the team and many others. But you're going to have to uh, understand that maybe there's a slight chance that there might not be the access that many of us were, at, were you know, looking for as the NHL and every other major sport in the U.S. passed down some new guidelines today about the coronavirus and how it affects the media. And we're going to touch on a few things around that in our final segment coming up next. So I want to start this final segment with the disclaimer of this is that we know the coronavirus is very serious. We know that it is spreading very quickly and that it isn't anything to be taken lightly. And we're approaching everything in this discussion from a hypothetical mindset in the way we're discussing things right now. But these are the facts right now is that the MLB, uh, the NBA, the NHL, and I believe the, N- or the NFL are putting into place new restrictions for media access, as in the locker rooms will now not be open after the game, 
and that player interviews and everything are going to be done in what's called a mixing area. It's what we had at World Juniors in the Frozen Four where players come out of the locker room and, you know, you talk to them in a scrum. Maybe it's you. Maybe it's you and six other people. And I understand why they're doing it. However, the kind of response that I've seen from the Pro Hockey Writers Association is kind of embarrassing, if I'm being entirely honest here. It's uh, it's not – the response to it has kind of made me bury my head in my hands and kind of just feel like people are acting spoiled to this when there's a pandemic that has literally shut down a country of 60 million people, like closed off, no sporting events – There are prison riots happening because they don't have the supplies for this. Some context and brevity was needed for this, and it seems kind of tone deaf, the response uh, from the Pro Hockey Writers Association about locker room access and everything. And, Laura, I'm kind of interested to hear your thoughts on this as well. Okay, well, first of all, let me, like, cover what they said. So on... I, I don't know if it was Friday night. I definitely know it was Saturday night when I was, I was seeing people tweeting it about it. I believe Emily Kaplan of ESPN was the first person to kind of break it. If, if, if I'm miss, if I'm not missing anyone else. And it was basically hearing that the NHL will start closing locker rooms to media as of today. And then the NHL came out and said, yes, actually, like, that's what we're going to do. And then, so all day Saturday and Sunday, we were treated to whining about how uh, the media needs the access in order to do their jobs, which that in itself is a completely different debate. I think that a lot of times now with what we have, especially with teams taking control of their own message and their own media, they have... They have their own, um, you know, their own social media or whatever, releasing clips of the players talking in, in the scrums and all of that. Like they have a lot of control as to what gets out. And I want to also point out that most of the time uh, players don't really say all that much that's interesting or different than the day to day. Every day it's like they wanted it more. We didn't want it enough. We got to get those pucks in deep. We got to get back to our game, blah, 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 all of that stuff. Like it's always the same thing over and over again. And you don't necessarily need uh, access to the locker room for that. You can, ha- you can like get them from the mix zone. And the mix zone is something that European leagues have done for a very long time. It's not something that's new. Anytime you watch, like if you want to watch the World Cup or even in the Olympics and stuff like that, there's always a mix zone that, you know, media, whatever, uh, people who are covering can go and interview players, coaches, things like that. I don't think it's, it's like, like this is not fatal to your job. I understand that media access to locker rooms is something that has been negotiated and it's for the good of the media, which in theory should be for the good of the fans, like the audience, the readers. We need to know what's going on. And it's very different now that everything is online. It's not like the old days. And I'm not saying that access should be removed. And I also do, I understand the sentiment that if they do this and it's successful, like the hockey writers are worried that the access is going to be taken away for good. I, but now is not the time, I think is the, is the biggest, uh, the most common sentiment I heard in, in uh, response to their response, which I'm going to read to you. 
because Scott was kind enough to send it to me earlier, although I don't think it was for to inform me, but rather so that I could also roll my eyes. Um, the, so they put out a statement, and it says this. We, the entities covering pro and college sports in North America, are concerned with the developing international outbreak of coronavirus and the need to contain it. We understand precautions may be necessary in the name of public health. We are intent on working with the leagues, teams, and schools we cover to maintain safe work environments. We also must ensure the locker room access, which we have negotiated over decades to players, coaches, and staff, is not unnecessarily limited in either the short or long term. We look forward to open communication with the leagues as together we deal with the serious health matter. So this wasn't just the Hockey Writers Association. It was the Baseball Writers Association, the uh, basketball, uh, another basketball, North American soccer reporters, pro football writers, Associated Press sports editors. So this is like the entirety of sports media that's getting upset about this. And again, like they do mention that this this was negotiated over decades. I understand the idea that, you know, this is something that they're worried is going to get taken away from them, like as in they're giving... Like, if they give on this point, if they give an inch, the leagues are going to take a mile. Everything's going to change. They're going to go back to, you know, having not allowing them in. I, I completely understand that. But, again, now is not the time. There is a virus that today the World Health Organization says is in danger of becoming a pandemic. Over 100,000 people have been infected by it. Thousands have died. And... An entire country of 60 million people is not letting people go to funerals. Think about it. They're not letting people go outside. They're quarantining the entire country, the whole country. Like, it's not even a joke. So when that's going on in the world, because this thing spreads so quickly, or is like, I guess the spread is, uh, is so potent. I don't know. Like, it's, 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 it's a virus. The expression spreading like a virus. I mean, like that, this is, this is, an example of what it is. So when you're saying something like that, I think it's losing the plot a little bit because all of these players uh, are, their lives specifically might be in a controlled environment, right? A lot of them travel on charter jets and things like that. They basically encounter each other, their coaches in practice, and then they go home and encounter their families and all of that. But the concern for the leagues is not just specifically for one player in a locker room. It's for the entire league because this kind of thing spreads. Like, let's say you are a player for the Montreal Canadiens and you show symptoms today. So that virus could have been in you for 14 days before showing any symptoms. So you have to think about all the teams the Canadians have played in the last two weeks. And then you have to think of all of the players that were on those teams. And then you have to think about all of them who played other teams going back 14 days. And then you have no choice. You have to shut the entire league down for an indefinite period of time. So it's not just about infecting one player or, or something like that. And, and the argument is being made, well, they're young and they're healthy and we're young and we're healthy. I mean, this virus is killing people though. So just because you're young and you're healthy doesn't mean that you getting it isn't going to kill someone else. Yeah. And it's, People have mentioned it's like, oh, well, we don't have access to the players, and how are we going to do our jobs? It's like you still have access to the players. It's like, sorry, you can't just, you know, have your little side conversations 
welcome to the world of being someone who isn't mainstream media trying to cover a team. Get used to it. It's and some people have brought up a very, you know, prominent point that should be mentioned is if they're trying to prevent this, what are they doing about a arena full of like several thousand fans packed in close? And unfortunately, as depressing as this sounds, um, guess what? The media is not making a team or the NHL money. I saw someone mention this on Twitter and it actually might have been the show Nemesis is that NHL revenue that they use to pay the players and everything comes from their ticket sales and everything. And they'd have to get NHLPA approval before playing behind closed doors. And the way that this is going, money or not, I don't think that they're going to have a choice soon. I look at what happened in Italy, and it's only a matter of time potentially before this continues to spread and that it happens. Like, there's been cases, but... And even in, like, Seattle, someone from the XFL was, you know, infected and worked a game, and it's... It's only a matter of time before something happens. And this is a league that struggled to control a disease that was almost eradicated that you can get a vaccine for. I really don't know how they're going to handle an actual pandemic. I'm glad that they're trying to be slightly proactive in some things, but at a certain point in time, guess what? It doesn't matter that you have your job to do. Public health and safety should rule more than you getting to talk to someone and have them go, oh, yeah, well, you know, we just had to get out there and play our game tonight and it didn't work. You know, uh, they were playing a tight game out there. No one gives a crap. <laughs> I can hear that any day. I'd rather people not get sick with a disease that's killing people rather than hear a canned quote again. And I understand you have your work to do and everything, but this isn't about you. This is about thousands upon millions of people who might end up on, you know, that need to be protected from this as well. And I think the other thing is like the language, because a couple of people made this point, including myself. Uh, it, you can say something that's not what you said. You can say something like, and my suggested script would have been, you know, we are also concerned. And in light of that, we would like to, uh, you know, express our willingness to comply with with these, but we need, uh, we we just seek reassurance that once the threat of coronavirus has passed, that the access will be reinstated the way that it was. Like that's that's all I would have said. Like I would have I wouldn't have complained. I wouldn't have like made this into such a big deal. It sounds like they're trying to establish. I don't know. I I don't even know what they're trying to establish, but. I, I truly would have said something like, you know, like I would have had like three or four paragraphs about why this is a good idea and that they're going to cooperate. And then at the end, just register the fact that you put on the record that your assumption is after all of this is over, you're going to get access again. Like as in like they want to make sure that the leagues don't use this as a way to take access away permanently. I understand their concern. It's just like the the optics of what they did is is terrible. And like Jared Book pointed out to me he said he was like a lot of these people have like kids at home you know aren't they worried about that and it's true like I, I mean if, if you don't if you don't infect a player you could get it from a player and then take it home yeah it's there's so much more to worry about than just what this means for your quotes or your jobs and I understand that you have a job to do you were still being allowed to do that job. You were still allowed to go to the games. You were still allowed to cover the games. You talked to the players after the games. 
And I have no doubt that once this whole thing has passed and has, you know, been reined in and taken care of, that locker room access will be back. I understand why they have those fears, but I feel like it's very overblown and is very much becoming a the how does this affect the Leafs, but how does this affect the media of the coronavirus? And it's like this isn't the point to it, but... We're going to see. I mean, I'm hoping that it doesn't come to empty arenas and everything like that, especially with the playoffs right around the corner. And I'm hoping that this kind of is, you know, under control soon because baseball starting up soon and you have, you know, soccer matches going on around the world or not in Italy anymore. But it's like there's so much bad that could potentially happen that if it isn't if precautions aren't taken, I'm glad the NHL is for once kind of being proactive a little bit, but. That um, will be the end of our show. As always, you can follow the show at LO underscore Canadians. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts on Google, Apple, Spotify, iTunes, wherever. You can follow Laura at The Active Stick. You can follow me at Scott Matla. And as this wraps up this ep- edition of Lockdown Canadians, now tell your smart device to play the most recent episode of Lockdown Fantasy Hockey. Have a great day, and we'll see you all tomorrow.